You're listening to the Irish Times. I sat on my couch last night, Gavin, and all I needed was the balm of something to take my mind off what happened in Croke Park. And uh, lo and behold, Tiger Woods was uh, chasing down a, a major, and that was plenty. That yeah. was plenty. That that is the night for me. I have to say. I actually looked around for you in Crow Park to have a little <laughs> chat to you about this morning, but uh, you were gone. And I was like, yeah, he's he's retreated to watch the golf. <laughs> he's going to file his copy. His, this will be a column on Monaghan, and he's going to watch the golf, which I actually did myself. By the way, when Tiger, I was following Rory at Croke on the on the blog, and then I said, ah, here it's six ninety nine for me to watch Tiger yeah. finally win a major. First time in ten years, have you? First time in ten years. So, Much like Tyrone. Uh, he is coming back 10 years later yeah so on the 16th tee I threw out my 699 well done Gavin and uh, on the 17th tee I went, I went to bed <laughs> <laughs> so you lasted about 10 minutes yeah yeah and this is uh, the Out of Time podcast with me Malachy Clerken and him Gavin Kuminski. Uh later on we'll be talking all loads of different things uh, GEA a little bit of athletics a little bit of gymnastics indeed um, but yeah the golf last night was great it yeah. was it was it was really enjoyable. Uh, like he Woods is is still just such a fascinating thing to watch. It just needs someone like he needs Brooks and these guys to go away. The big he looks like a big quarterback, doesn't he? He needs Kepka is a big dude. Yeah, he needs these young like brilliant golfers out there. He needs them to go away. Your man, a little stat popped up on the screen. So he's now the third. Uh, he's he's now I think it's the sixth person under twenty nine years old to win three majors. Tiger had eight at twenty nine. Yeah, Jack had seven. Yeah, so he's the real thing, all right. Yeah, I, he's like he's just he hits the ball a mile. He flushes his irons. He doesn't worry. He, he's, he's a like, killer. He, isn't he? Yeah, he's a he's a bit of an assassin, um, and yet. Like uh, you were gone to bed at this stage, but uh, Woods he he birdied the last and <laughs> gave, it a, gave it the big fist pump, and he was walking across the bridge to the scorers' hut afterwards, and the camera followed him. The crowds were monumental. It looked like it was biblical. Him just kind of looking down, and he gave them a kind of a cheery wave, and it was just it was like it was like golf feeling vital again. Which, you know, for, for the lifers like me who will watch it, whether he's playing in it or not, was exciting. It was exciting to so watch. He, he's not going to get back to what he was, but will he, he's going to keep contending at majors for the next uh, year yeah, or two. Like as long as his body holds up, there's been no problems. His, body's, his body is fine. His body has been absolutely fine. He has two top tens in majors this year. Uh, like I'd say only maybe Molinari and, and Kepka have had better major records than him this year. Um, he's definitely going to be picked for the Ryder Cup. Like you know, the you know, that, yeah. six months ago he was down as a vice captain. There's no chance he's a vice captain now. He will definitely play. That's like that's in six weeks. Will we ignore in, the GA. In Paris. Just, will we ignore the GA and just talk about golf for yeah, the hour? Yeah, would that wishing made it so? No, I guess we have to. We have to move on to the GA. Listen, Tyrone beat Monaghan. Mm. I'm over it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I've had a lifetime of this. I can live with this. Uh, Tyrone are going to get hammered by Dublin in the final anyway so that's fine too um, one man who was there all weekend just like you just like me was Keith Duggan uh, Keith thanks for joining us my impression of yesterday Keith was that essentially Tyrone were just that wee bit better than Monaghan uh, throughout the game and Monaghan were kind of hanging on to them and just when the goal came that was the end of it 
Yeah, I'd agree with that to some extent. I think that Monaghan didn't play their slickest game, but they came with their their, you know, just this this sort of limitless courage that they have and and, and self belief, and and that did take them, that did take them uh, to the, to the brink on Sunday. Um, Tyrone obviously started extremely well, but I I felt they kind of got stuck twice in the game. Um, you know, towards the latter half of the of of the first period, and then just prior to that goal. That twelve to thirteen minutes before the goal, they just seemed to get kind of get stuck in a rut and seemed uncertain as to how to pull that three point three to four points clear that probably would have mm. you know seen them home, and they were just in a very dangerous place. And I felt really that Hart when he went on that break, he knew he right to, he, he knew what he was doing there. He was trying to engineer a goal, mm. and I didn't feel he had any right to 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 attempt it from that. Uh, from that position but he did and they got a slightly lucky break in the sense that the uh the block went straight to, to Sludden who, who finished it very well but they really really needed that goal at that, at that period I think and I mean you can argue that that and Hart then was he, he was just brilliant for that sort of six seven minutes afterwards even if he did fumble the ball do you remember when he when he when, he when Ryan Wiley dispossessed yeah, him just it, in the box yeah exactly yeah he, he had a chance to just uh, tap it over the bar um but really, I felt Monaghan were as as Maliki O'Rourke also um, alluded. They were they were they were coming really really strongly over that period, and the response to the goal was uh, it was it was really heroic. Vincent Kelly probably should have taken a black card there when Hart kind of stealed away from him, didn't he? Leading up to the goal. Yeah, I th- I wasn't too sure, but I I kind of thought that they they had that idea that that they would sort of shepherd him. Close enough to to sort of get a block in, which they did, and and as Keith says, the the, the ball kind of is, the the problem for them was that that Darren Hughes went for the block and Colin Walsh went for the block behind them, mm-hmm. so he was prone on the ground and had left left sort of sudden as as he should, you know, to kind of close down the goal, but um, it worked out unluckily like that. But uh, you're exactly right, Keith. You know, I remember writing it straight afterwards, like. Monaghan won the kick out, got a free, and had a point back within within a minute. You know, um, so there, and and this was the thing about them: like you, you couldn't fault their response all day. But but in saying that, inherent in that is the fact that they were responding all day. That's true. Yeah, um, they never really, they never really sort of fully fully recovered from that lightning start that Tyrone had. Tyrone started a little bit like Dublin did against Donegal in 2014, where they were just kicking score after score, and there was a slight moment where you were wondering, are they just gonna, are they just gonna blow Monaghan out of the water here? But then you know they they they, they sort of stopped, um, and I, I think that's something they're gonna have to they're gonna have to look at, uh, you know, com- coming into this final because um, I'm, I'm not sure that they're gonna be. That they'll that they'll get away with periods like that if they're if they're to beat Dublin in the final. Tyrone were quite reactionary as well. I thought like uh, a McManus point ninety minutes uh, ninety seconds later, Sludden, Fintan Kelly point, Michaleski mm-hmm. ninety seconds later. Tyrone kept kind of landing that, yeah. that that jab back every time Monaghan scored, mm-hmm. which won't again all the things that key points later on this just will not work if you're trying to do this in an All Ireland final against the lads. But but I mean I, like Monaghan were never going to surely um, you know they were they were never it was it was always going to be like this for Monaghan I would have thought Maliki yeah that it was going to be you, you know punch for punch and 
let's see who's ahead when the whistle goes. To a certain extent, absolutely. I, and I mean, I, I certainly in the in the first half, I, I, Tyrone started very fast, but I was there sitting there going, this is exactly how fast they started in Oma uh, yeah. in May. Um they got definitely the first two points that day. I know Matty Donnelly skinned Vinnie Corey for a point early on that day. And I think they maybe went three points to no score up. And I remember coming away that day being so impressed by the fact that Monaghan are old, experienced, grizzled, do not panic. And it didn't surprise me in the least yesterday when they went in eight points all at half time, having been f- fairly well outplayed, I thought. Because yeah. that's the sort of that's who they are. That's especially who they are against Tyrone. You know that the they know that there are, there's a point in it one way or the other in in these games, and that they'll ease their way back in. They'll get their freeze. Um, it was just the fact that that once they went ahead, then uh, and whatever that was, like the 60th minute, 61st minute, that they got their their first and first and only lead of the day. Yeah. That. They couldn't then win the next kick out. They couldn't control that next four or five minutes. That was the moment, and I think I, I, my sense was that's why that's why Hard put the head down and ran there. Um, you know, there was a little bit of I felt there was a little bit of desperation attached to it. You know, uh, a feeling that maybe it could slip away one more Monaghan score and it, and it could slip away again. What about uh, what about Mickey Hart, Keith? I mean, uh, I was thinking of him last night. You interviewed him at the at the start of the January, year, yeah. And uh, one of the, like a great interview because I remember we were talking about it at the time. Mickey uh, is is a compelling guy. Like he's such you know he's he can be such a, a humpy ornery guy uh, when he wants to be, but he he will take any question. Like Mickey, you know, he doesn't doesn't really shrink from anything. And you know, for all that. You know, people can have their own opinions on him. Uh, I was sitting there yesterday watching him in the press conference, and I I did feel a kind of a a, a warmth towards him because he was he was so clearly delighted, so so kind of like he was fizzing afterwards with delight at having done this, at having got back to a final, and like it's it is some achievement ten yeah. years later. And he, you know, he resisted the well, he, he may not have had the temptation, but if so, he resisted temptation just to, you know, cock a finger to the world. Yeah. Um, which, which he would have been entitled to do because he was under just sustained criticism, uh, both within the county, I believe, and certainly um, outside the county uh, throughout this season. And there were several kind of calls that he, that he, that he should step down. Mm. And, you know, they, were, they struggled throughout the league. They were beaten by Monaghan. They had to go through the qualifiers. They went to the wire against Meath. I mean, it's it's been a high wire act mm. all the way along, and yet here they are, last team standing. It, it is a remarkable achievement because, I mean, despite what I think, despite what John Cavanaugh was saying earlier in the year, it's becoming uh, glaringly clear that they don't have uh, the same quality in their forward line mm. that they did during uh, 03, 05 and 08 when they had. Just phenomenal individualists. They don't quite have that now. There's some very, very good players, but not um, Stephen O'Neill. Yeah, not Stephen O'Neill. Not 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 Brian Dewar. You know, no. not Brian McGuigan. No. These guys were were just extraordinary. Yeah. And to, to to bring a new team back, um, you know, and, and and to change his system as 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 they progress through the uh, 
through the qualifiers it's uh it is it's a phenomenal achievement and it, it does take that that kind of rare rare drive and and and, and self belief and and that and that, and a certain level of tyrannness I would suggest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With all the good and bad that that implies. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, the, look, the thing is, um, nobody will believe really that, that Tyrone can beat Dublin except Mickey Hart and I imagine everyone else in the dressing room by the time they come to play them. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, you know, Saturday night, um, it's funny, I... I was reading some stuff yesterday and, and and seeing a lot of kind of stuff going around. This seemed to be a bit of a tipping point for for and and I even even for myself like is the sort of piece I wrote in the paper today about how you know the the eternal empire looks looks kind of set yeah. in stone now. Yeah. And I was kind of puzzled last night trying to think about this why why a, a sort of what I would have pre- what I would have said was a fairly regulation win over Galway is what has prompted that, and why why not the Tyrone win last year or, or whatever? But it, but it does seem this weekend to have been some sort of there seems to be a kind of a general weariness and acceptance around now that Dublin are going to at least obviously going to win four in a row, pro- probably five, and nobody can really definitively see an endpoint. You don't miss Connolly, you know, because of what Howard does in the last few games. Is it? Yeah. That, that's what you're saying, and the average age keeps dipping down in your piece. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, and I think as well, like within the, you know, the, the contemporary era, say the, say the last five years since since, since Dublin have really really come to, to 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 dominate. Galway came in this year as a sort of a you know a new prospect, a new a new color, a new color shirt, new faces slightly different uh, different challenge and there's just a bit of curiosity to see well could they you know could they present Dublin with different different sort of questions and challenges and then just the way they were washed away it was sort of it just seemed like business as usual and uh, you know I think that's why if you're <laughs> if there was a sort of slight air of despair that you they felt on Saturday evening it might have been it might have been that but Galway for all their for all their quality, they lacked the Tyronis. They lacked it like there's no Drew Wiley in their team for starters. Mm-hmm. There's nobody nobody given the reward of a point of a headlock or anything like that. And like Kevin Walsh afterwards I thought was quite interesting because he, he basically said his team were not up for this match because because they've been in division one for the first time, it was a culture shock and every game was like a championship and they just kinda of ran out of road and they were jaded up at the end. Like to hear him, he's not convinced he wants to do a fifth season now. His players came out. Gary O'Donnell said afterwards that they need him, but like go, it was very unconvincing for him to come out and speak like that afterwards. That go away for all their new team on the block stuff looks like they have a lot of kind of up st- top six inches stuff to still achieve. Mm. Was the impression that their manager gave us afterwards? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like I was surprised to hear Kevin um, sort of sound the. Ambiguous note about about next season. Maybe it was just the just that you know momentary fatigue um, and disappointment uh, more so than anything else. Um, because they did make they did make really really good strides this year. Leaving leaving the last, it was disappointing. What they were in a no win situation against Monaghan. Um, let's say that game had gone differently. Let's say it had been an absolute fizzer of a game, seventeen sixteen. Mm. Uh, Galway had lost and maybe injured. You know, had two guys injured or or were absolutely wrecked afterwards, and then showed up against Dublin and were steamrolled. Then everyone would have said, 
well, that's because you threw everything into the game against Monaghan. And, you, were, you know, no matter what they did, they were going to lose, I felt, um, unless, unless they went. Unless they beat the Monaghan yeah, and, they, and, and beat Tyrone yesterday. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. But, uh, look, yeah, it's... Um, so... It would be a big surprise, I think, if he if he if he if he wasn't back next year. Um, Dublin are, I th- I mean, this is the thing with them. They what what Gavin and uh, and I think Jason Sherlock. The the sense is that Jason Sherlock has taken off a lot of the credit for this. Um, the way they are coached now to play football is is so so different on the eye to what they were. Um, in even 2014, 2013, even early parts of 2015, when they were still sort of reorganising. Like, they, they're so clinical now mm-hmm. in that they just, they do not take shots that are only half on. They only kick the points that Sherlock used to kick, you know yeah. what I mean? The ones inside, yeah. But they only kick the points that you or I could score. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in their first sort of one ten or one eleven, which sort of won the game for them by the 45th minute, um, four of them were Dean Rock Freeze. One of them was a Kieran Kilkenny shot from out on the left ish or out on the right ish. The rest of them were from inside the D. Like this is playing in, in against a mass defence, and, and they were still scoring from inside the D. It's the development of the footballers in them as well. Like Jack McCaffrey wasn't this kind of a footballer. He didn't have a kick pass like he has now mm. at the start of his career. Mannion was a soccer player for the first few years mm. before he came back from China, you know. They were very, there was one-dimensional aspects to these super talented, super mm. pace, strength, whatever. But now there's so much football. Like McCaffrey literally ran, he was end-to-end. He, yeah. he was the creator like yeah. on the weekend, and, which he's become in the last two years. Mm. That's coaching, yeah. yeah. That is coaching. And Sherlock is, gets, gets a bit of a credit for it, mm. but Jim Gavin actually gets a lot of credit I for it too. I think Jim, I think, I think Jim is a, is a genius. I really do. I, I, I just look at even I did some stuff on the, on the age profile of the team, like how how he keeps doing this that they that they're going for four in a row and yet the team has got younger every year, is is amazing. Do you enjoy watching them, Keith? Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. Of course, I do. Yeah, they're they're phenomenal to watch. Um, they're yeah, they're they they rarely make mistakes. It's sort of it's 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 sort of uh, eye opening now when when they make the kind of mistake that used to be used to be common. Um, I I kind of feel that this period is occurring at a period when all the other you know would be strong counties are are sort of you know they're they're just they're just at a stage where they're not they're not at their peak. Kerry aren't at their peak. Um, maybe Tyrone are coming back there now. Um, Mayo so. You know, you, you just wish that there was, that, that, you know, they they had a few stiffer challenges. I, you know, let's say Galway had converted any everything in the first half on on Saturday and went in four or five points ahead. It just would have been interesting to see if all those passes would have went to hand, and you know, if all those if all those um, points would have went over the bar. Um, it's it's sometimes when you're in the comfort zone, you know, it's it can be easier to play well. Mm. So trying to drag them out of that place um, is, I think, is, is is key if any team is going to beat them. 
Yeah, and I guess that I mean, <laughs> no better, no better men. <laughs> well, yeah, well, to a certain well, no, I think there are better men. I would but, have loved to have seen what Monaghan would have, Monaghan's backs would have done to Dubs. Yeah, well, and I think Kerry would have given them the best game of the year. More than even that, even this Kerry. Team. More than that, I, I I miss Mayo beyond everybody. I mean, uh, you know, that's what they did. You know, the the they took them out of their comfort zone. But anyway, look. Dublin are in the final against Tyrone. Um, we will talk about it when it happens in a couple of weeks. Keith, thanks so much for joining us and uh, take it easy. Ian O'Reardon is in Berlin. You're still in Berlin, aren't you? We are, yes. It all closed down last night after, after I think, a very, very all-around um, positive uh, five, six days for the sports in general. Um for Irish athletes, you probably could say as well, again, I think any championship where we win a medal always could be considered a success. They don't come along very often, even, even these games. I think we made the point last week that they only won 14 medals before. Now that's 15 with Thomas Barr. Um, and Kieran McGeehan came in coming very close then last night in the 1500 metres would have would have really raised raised us uh, to a new level. I think we once won two medals in the same championships. That was back in 1998 when Sonia won and Mark Carroll won a bronze as well. So hmm. to win two medals would 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 have been exceptional, um, and especially to finish fourth. I mean, it's that classic, so near and so far. And I think um, talking to Kieran McGeehan afterwards, I mean, it was just one of those things where I. Look, she ran the race as best as she could. So there could be no excuses, no regrets. You know, maybe she left it a bit later, gone too early. You might have, you might have had a few lingering doubts. But I think if she ran that race again today or tomorrow, it'd probably still be the same results. Will you talk to me about that race actually? Because um, I watched it. Uh, I watched a bit of it back this morning, especially the last lap. Uh, and in you, you be able to school me on on uh, running tactics here. Uh, did she? Was it just that she got to the shoulder of the third athlete and couldn't get past her, or did she get there too soon, or, or what was it? Or was it the big screen? I think you mentioned the big screen, Ian, that the athlete... Yeah, there was a lot going on. I mean, we all knew, and again, this, this, this is taking into account anything that happened in the final, or so we're told, that Laura Muir was going to win it. That's, that's the, the, the Scottish-British girl, obviously. Mm. She took it off. She, they basically ran the first lap in 70 seconds, which, which we call crawling in the business. And then she took over... With a thousand meters to run, and she ran the last two thousand meters in about two thirty six, which is which would probably win a thousand meter race in its own. It was, it was really so. She basically won that from the front, and then you had the chase of second between the other British girl Whiteman and the young, the young, the young Polish girl. And I think I think Kira McGeehan, she was she was she was where she needed to be. She was always going to come through. She's been, she's been doing it all season, and yeah, came into the race. Uh, it looked like it was. It looked like to me it was on. The medal was on. She mm. Keep going at the pace that she was going at, but. Whiteman got kind of a second win that she did. She claimed that she was looking up the big screen and she could see McGee coming and that gave her some sort of like, well, I, got, I got to go again. So she did. And crucially, like, Kira, she couldn't get, she, I don't think she even got right beside her. She just couldn't get a, a strider to in front. It's a bit like, it's a bit like Sonia and Zabo. Do you remember in, in, in Sydney 2000? If you could just get ahead of somebody, it gives you a much better chance, but she just couldn't get ahead and, and finish forward. And in fairness, she was fading a little bit herself, Kira. Like she was, it's not like she kind of, you know, she the last twenty meters, then she kind of slowed down a bit again. It was just about a second in it. So, look, I don't think, I don't think you could look at look at that race and say if she did this differently, she might have medal. It was just, and again, I mean, if you look at that race four oh three, four oh four, I mean, that's a 
were at their world class times. You know, that, that's right up there. Was you know, she won a bronze medal two years ago. Don't forget, but it probably wasn't. It definitely wasn't as, as deep a race. Mm. To be honest, so I think finishing fourth this time, if, if, if that makes any sense, was a better result. She's the sort of athlete in and and you know her since since she was a, a teenager. Uh, she's the sort of athlete that that you can you sort of you take great sort of pride in because she's. She does give it. She gives it absolutely everything, and and I think sometimes I, I watch her and think maybe she's just n- not quite at the level, you know. The, the, and I know she puts everything into it. She puts her and, and has fought through some some woeful injuries over the years, but maybe she's just just that slight level below what she could be. Yeah, well, I think, look, I mean, we all know that she had basically two years written off there around, so you go back to sort of 2013, 2014, she got back to about 2015, that was her first sort of proper season back, and I mean, she has she has been improving this year, now she's, she's got a few more races to run, I think she's going to go out and come very close to another personal best over over, over um, 1,500 metres, maybe that's the record, the Sonia Sullivan's record is still there, obviously going back to 1994, 95, so that, whether she's at that level or not, I, I, I don't know, but I think you're right, but I definitely think there's more to come, I mean, don't forget, she only left her kind of training group here last year, and that mm. was a big move, and I think we've already seen some results of that, and she's definitely, look, we all know she's, had, she's, had, she's been a little bit sort of maybe fickle in the past, but I think now she's she's got her head together, that's the most important thing, she's definitely got her head together, and she'd be the first person to kind of admit that, that maybe she had, she sometimes put maybe too much pressure on herself or something like that, but, but I think she's definitely, she's more confident athlete now in her own ability, and the only problem is, you said it there, like, I mean, if you, look at, if you look at the level that athletics is at, okay, you've got you basically got a European Championships, a World Championships, and Olympic Games. If you really if you really want to make a mark in the sport, that's that's what that's what you're judged on. Okay, she's finished she's finished fourth here, and uh, she does have a medal from two years ago. But what, what, we've got a World Championship next year in Doha, which is going to be literally red hot on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Then you're suddenly into Tokyo again. Then it's another World Championships. Um, so it's it's you know it's, it's, these chances don't come around very often. But look, there's a, I think there's a European indoors next year, which you, which I think she should run. And, and you know, this idea of like trying to save yourself for different championships sometimes doesn't always work out for Irish. That's her best chance of a medal, Ian, is it? Yeah, yeah, just to do that and try and move on. But and maybe maybe we'll see. But like, yeah, I definitely think last night might might go down as maybe miss miss chance again. Not. Not, not for one second saying she could have run any better, but just it would have been it would have been really special to win that medal because it's going to be very difficult. It's going to, and even even if you think even if you think two years down the road that there is a European Championships two years, after, you know I think they're actually after Tokyo, so they'll, they'll be low, very low key. So basically, the next proper European Championships aren't until twenty twenty two. Ian, we were t- we were asking you last week. We were kind of you almost convinced us that there, we we might leave this without medals and it might be a disappointing championship, but. Just from watching on TV, uh, obviously Thomas Barr and a couple of other things has been really encouraging for Irish athletics, and we know the talent that's underage. So, from your perspective, what are you going to be really tracking, or what are you really excited about from now until Tokyo 2020? Yeah, good question, Gavin. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we also have women's four and one, and I think yeah, again, it's a very young team. It's just two teenagers in that team. Um, they okay, they finished fourth in their heat, an Irish record. But like, it was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bore you with statistics here. It was, just, it was the fastest time never to qualify for a European Championship final, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Every, other, every, every other European Championship, if they'd run that time, they would have made the final. And you know, no, they could have finished, you know, fifth or sixth in the final with that kind of time. So that's, that, that's a team where you'll say, look, that they're, they're potential finalists in, in Tokyo for sure. Like Gina Ake Moses is so, she's so impressive just the way she speaks as well. Like she, she, I feel like there's a superstar quality to her because she's only 19, you know. Yeah, 
Yeah, and she knows, like she knows what she wants, and she knows how to go about it. Um, you're right, but I think I think the, one of the points I would like to make here, and I and I say this, I say this with absolute respect to all the athletes, but like you, you look at Thomas Barr and you look at Kieran McGee, and we say yeah, but, but if you look at the team of 42 athletes and you go through them, and you say right, if you were to kind of like mark them or rate them as you do in some other businesses, like you know, there wouldn't there wouldn't be there wouldn't be too many glowing reports. That's just being honest about it. I mean, we, we all know that an athlete like. Mark English, who's medaled here before, you know, to him, for him to go out in qualifying heat is, is disappointing. Um, we've seen a few of the other sprinters maybe not not quite step up. Leon Reed came out of nowhere, so we'll, we'll give him credit for sure, and he's he's one to watch in the future. This is a, a former British athlete now running for us. Some of the walkers gave it a good go, but I think there was only well, obviously there was one there was one personal best in the relay. I think there was two season bests on the track, but after that, nobody nobody came. Nobody got set either a season's best or a personal best. Now that doesn't always happen in championships, anyway. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be getting overly optimistic or overly excited to answer your question about who's who's coming through. Um, certainly, the likes of Phil Healy again, she's very young, only twenty three. I don't forget she's now part of three Irish records this year: the hundred meters, two hundred meters, and the relay. So she's she's definitely not going in the right direction. Kira McGean as well, but. There's a few others, and the marathon men did well to finish sixth. There's actually a team race in the marathon, so they finished sixth, which again, not a bad result by any means. Um, but if you're looking for people who are really, who really got that X factor, um, it's, it's, it's. I don't think anybody. We didn't see anything that we didn't hadn't seen before. Let's put it that way. We talked about uh, Thomas Barr here last week. Ian, what, what's next? Where, where, where's this go for him now? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, his event actually right now is probably is probably okay. Does, do you throw in? You've got the Samba from the Qatar, there's an, I think an American as well. But after that, the, the, top, the top two in the world pretty much are Europeans in Kirsten Waholm and Capello from Turkey, and then it's him. So he's already, he's already you could say, on, on a sort of podium, world-class podium event, really, because, I mean, you will throw in two more athletes, but he's not that far off. Um, it's all about Tokyo for him, isn't it? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's getting back to Tokyo now and trying to make some amends for Rio, it's it's not going to be easy, but he's certainly going about it the right way. There's the World Championships next year. I think that'll be about making the final for sure. Um, but look, he's just, he's just, I think he's, he's, he's going to be, he's going to, he's definitely, he's definitely 26, so he's got a good four or five, well, say four or five years left of the sport. Now, sprinters do decline a bit earlier than, than other runners, but I would see Thomas Barr going to, going to, going to Tokyo in two years' time, definitely as our, as a, as a, as a potential finalist for sure. If he just keeps on this steady enough graph of, this improvement and consistency and all those words that he'll yeah I mean there's no there's no reason he's he's absolutely capable of it and I think he showed that don't forget don't forget running out of lane eight I mean we keep, we keep forgetting that is now he's calling it a bit maybe it was but it's still it's it's not it's it's not easier it's not there's no way to make it any easier to win a medal out of lane eight so I think Thomas is um he's definitely he's definitely not like to um we're going to see a lot more of in the next two four years and as a as an athletics fan Ian, outside of uh, the Irish stories what what did you enjoy most yeah I think they've been a great I mean it's a bit like everyone says after Olympics that was the best Olympics ever but I do feel they were they were one of the best European championships I mean the venue alone has just been spectacular I mean Berlin's Olympic Stadium you just and the crowds you know they're getting 60 60 odd thousand people it's, it's pretty much a sellout virtual sellout and proper athletics crowd they know their events and I mean, where do you begin? We had an 18-year-old winning the, the pole vault last night, and um, the planter from Sweden who who cleared six meters and five, which is which is you know that's Sergey Bobka territory at at, um, at at 18. And then of course the the Inga Brixens from Norway, who I think captured everyone's sort of <laughs> excitement when you see when you see a 17-year-old winning a 15 and a five. And the same goes, no man, woman, or boy had done that before. Like it's mm. just ridiculous what he did. And 
And I think it's just, it's definitely restored my faith in, in in distance running. When I say faith, like we've seen we've seen so much sort of performances or athletes who kind of come from nowhere or have come from different countries or whatever. And again, that's that's all a lot of that is legitimate. But it's just when you see somebody as as just utterly natural looking and you know, there's no reason not to believe. I mean, there's, there's no drug in the world you could give a 17 year old that he's going to run that well because it's just it just defies so much about the sport. Um, so that's that's been very exciting. Certainly, certainly, some of the um, I mean, even even the likes of Laura Muir for what she's doing the women's fifty meters, it, it, it's been a good championship for sure. But I think the danger now is it's all about maintaining it. And I think you know we have a world championship next year in Doha, Qatar, and I'm a boy with the politics of that. But that's going to be very that's going to be a very hard sell next November. But then you went to Tokyo, and I think there'll be enough momentum, certainly from European athletes, European athletics, to keep that keep that interest in the sport, including the, in the including from an Irish perspective as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think everyone's kind of been saying athletics is dying and it's on its way out and it's lacked it's lacked it's um it's kind of, it's not not relevant anymore these kind of words. When you see when you when you, when you put on a good show like it does still people do still respond to it. Excellent. Well, Ian, I, I need you to come home and start writing some GAA uh, and uh, we all do and take uh, take the heat off the rest of us here. So uh, <laughs> your your little uh, your little athletics honeymoon is over. Uh, so get on the plane and get back here and do some work. Come on. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. <laughs> take it easy, Ian. In amongst everything else, Gavin, over the weekend, it turns out we're a gymnastics superpower now, along with uh, being a hockey superpower, uh, paracycling superpower. We're, sure we're great at everything. Well, in the last 20 minutes, I've become an expert on pommel horse. Look at you. Good headline in uh, the, the other times, my lovely horse. My lovely 20, horse. 20 years after the I, passing of the great I German suspect, Morgan. I, I suspect the hand of my uh, old mentor, Jer Siggins, uh, who uh, works in his, uh, a sports sub in the time of London slash Dublin now. I presume that was him. Uh, Cleena Foley is on the line to tell us all about Rhys McLenaghan. How are you doing, Cleena? Good, great. Good morning, gentlemen. How's it going? Rhys McLenaghan, tell us all about him. Rhys McLennan uh, just turned 19. He's from Newton Arts in County Down. And um, while people who wouldn't know anything about artistic gymnastics would have been shocked that suddenly, as you said, we've become power and we're winning medals. Um, anybody who's watched Irish gymnastics will have seen this young man um, coming up. Apart from his skill, he is phenomenally self-possessed. He is just the coolest thing he ever met. Uh, nothing phases him. Um, and um, as people will have seen on TV even yesterday, after winning and becoming a European champion, he went, you know, this is just the start. I'm ready for more. But That's what's we really like to fascinating hear. about him is um, is actually that uh, in the last couple of months, um, his his coach was basically let go by the, their club in uh, in Northern Ireland, Rathkeel and uh, Rathgale rather. And um, he ended up having no club and he, he left the club as well and his coach and himself actually moved down to Dublin to train. So um, why it's not a surprise, Malachy, is because this kid won the Commonwealth gold in Pommel Horse mm. um, earlier this year. And to win the Commonwealth gold, he tied on scores with the reigning Olympic champion, a guy called Max Whitlock from England. Yeah. Um, and so he knows Max Whitlock really well. He's competed in the British Championships before against him. And he beat Max Whitlock that day because his execution scores were better. They had the better, they had the same finishing score, but you get artistic um, marks and execution marks, and they're better. So it's actually not a surprise to the Irish gymnastics community that he's won gold at the Europeans. Um, Max Whitlock actually was in the competition again, but fluffed um, in the final. Yeah, Max had a nightmare, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, Max had the proverbial mare. Um, (laughs) But you know what? I think as well that. 
you know, Whitlock has seen this, uh, this young Irish lad coming for him a few times. And, you know, this is like, whatever it is, 45 seconds of just intense concentration and skill on the top of a pommel horse, which we all fell over, let's face it, in school days <laughs> and nearly killed ourselves. And um, his routine has a very high degree of difficulty. Um, so, um, and he just has it down pat, but it's his nerve as well that is just fantastic and his confidence. And he's not arrogant, but he's not afraid to say, I'm really good at this and I'm going to get even better at it. The conditioning of them, Kleena, is uh, otherworldly stuff. Just looking at them, it, it, the training and just whatever they go through just is... Yeah, and, and, and a lot of the training, you know, they're so strong because they're doing this since they were very, very young. Um, McLennan was a really hyperactive kid and tried lots of sports and his parents brought him to gymnastics and he immediately loved it because he was always climbing trees and doing things that terrified them and he just had a natural aptitude for it. But like he's been training for this all his life, so you're right, you look at their physical conditioning, but the gymnasts generally... Um, particularly ones who are good on floor and pommel, it's not that they're doing massive, massive, massive weights. It's that they're also using their own body weight and they've been, they've been training with their own body weights, you know, you know, since they were, eight, you know, seven and eight and six or whatever. So they, they have that brilliant in national conditioning. But he has beautiful style as well. He, as you say, Kleene, he, he trains in Dublin now. Uh, wh- yeah. where, where does he train? What, what's he his routine? In, um, people would be amazed probably to know that um, Ireland has a national gymnastics training centre now. Um, so Sport Ireland um, developed a new national indoor training centre out at Abbottstown, out where the National Aquatic Centre is. And people go, where's Abbottstown? But it's basically across the road, across the bridge from the Blanchardstown Shopping Centre. That's where Abbottstown They might be moving the hockey out there, yeah? Yeah, that's where they're talking about moving the hockey. That's where GAA have pitches now. That's where rugby and the FEI, a lot of people are based out And there Bernard now. Dunn's so boxing as well is out the there. The boxers have gone out there in recent years as well. But when they built the National Indoor Centre, which has an indoor track on it, down the side of that building, they put one narrow, long section and they have created a, a training centre for Irish gymnastics. And it's very small, but brilliantly designed, if you like. It has all the basic tumbling. It has all the areas. And it's used commercially. People go in there, you know, clubs go in there to train, but the national squads can also train in there. So he's just finished school. He's just finished, um, you know, like a, um, a post-leaving cert course. Um, this summer also so he's probably would be going training full time anyway but the fact now that there's been a split with his club in the north means that he'd probably be based full time in Dublin and his coach Luke Carson is the guy who's brought him all the way up really um, and has been fantastic with them it's really interesting um, I was at the National Series Super Championships at the end of June out in um, at, out in the National Indoor Centre and it's phenomenal where there are gymnastic clubs popping up all over Ireland Mayo Limerick, uh, Port Leash, Wicklow, everywhere. Um, now, there's less boys doing it than girls. And Reese has talked about, you know, getting sort of, you know, hassled and bullied and saying, oh, you know, you're doing a girl's sport. But he's such a confident young guy and just goes, you know, whatever. I'm really good at this. You know, wait till you see what I'll do. <laughs> You'd want a fair bit of confidence to be bullying somebody built like Reese McLennan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, And actually, I've seen him. He's really good with the junior kids. He didn't compete in that new National Super Series because 
he was trying to cut, he had a little bit of a niggle and he was just trying to keep it on the low down and prepare for the Europeans. But like, you know, he's just a hero and all these kids are going up and sign, getting him to sign autographs and he spends loads of time with them. He's just a lovely young fella. He really is a really honest, honest to God, lovely young fella. But he... What's up with he, his coach, Kleena? Luke Carson, has he lost him or what's going no, on? No, no, Luke Carson will come with him, I would say, yeah. The club that they were involved in, Rathgale, um, the, the sports centre, I think, appears to have had some financial problems. And so they decided they weren't going to keep your man on as a gymnastics coach. So they let him go. And so once he went, he said, well, I'm going as well. And they're amazing. You'll find it. And you will find BBC footage of him. But they went down and did a story in the family. And he was training in the garden. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> outdoors and on a pop we, in the garden. <laughs> will we have to have another conversation about funding with this man? Or will he be looked after? Oh, no, I don't. Well, I don't think so. Um, gymnastics Ireland, you know, he's always been one of their priority athletes. And also, he is one... And, you know, you were talking about, like I said, you know, who knew we were a gymnastic superpower? But um, the International Olympic Committee gives special um, sort of grants to, you know, rising athletes. And, you know, there's about, I don't know, is there 10 or 12 Irish athletes across a whole range of sports this year got one. And it's special funding they will get every year annually. I don't know, is it eight or 10 grand? I can't remember. But it's to help them get to Tokyo. Um, people like um, uh, Denise Walsh, the role. Um, Jack Woolley, Mona McSharry, the swimmer, Jack Woolley, the taekwondo guy. A lot, uh, there's a big gang of them from a r- broad range of sports and he got one of those scholarships, one of those OCI scholarships. So that will help his funding. And as a European champion as well, like he is funded um, by um, the Sports Council. So uh, as far as I know, he would certainly be on, you know, grant, good grant funding, I think, through Gymnastics Ireland. So, Ken, it's such a it's such a fascinating time around these sports, isn't it? You know, yeah. like we, you know, we've written about... I, I, I remember meeting you at Olympics, uh, you know, and and even World Athletics Championships. I remember meeting you in Osaka in '07, and and being around those sports, those kind of well, I guess we call them minority sports, uh, can be. It's it's a really interesting um, experience because the people that are in them are devoted, so devoted to them, and and are are working at such a high level, and yet there's there's so little recognition for it, there's so little support, like even public support, that kind of stuff, and yet it seems more and more that they're sort of breaking through, little pinpricks breaking through here and there the further each year goes on. Yeah. I mean, you have to give Sport Ireland some credit for that. Mm. Um, you know, they have funded programs by sports, you know, what we would call exactly minority sports. In other words, not the big three or four mm. that have the masses of numbers playing and watching them. And when you're in those minority sports, and track and field has become one as well by virtue mm. of the fact that very little people go to watch it. And it doesn't, they, these are sports as well that don't have huge self-funding, you know, ability. Yes. Um, they, uh, the reality is that there is talent there if you find it, if you get good coaches for it, and then if you can get a program that develops it through the junior ranks and is supported, and Sport Ireland has helped to support that. And gymnastics is a classic example of it. And I think it's really interesting that there is talent out there in other sports. It's harder for them. It's harder for them, not only in terms of funding, but also the levels of, of dedication it demands. And yeah. you're not with the team. And when you when you do badly, as we saw um, with Kira McGee last night, who didn't do badly, had mm. a great race. But when you just don't, when you just miss the medal, 
you you don't have a team to fall back on and also you're exposed just individually you're out there having to do that post race you know uh, post race interview mm. um really it really in tough conditions and there's nobody to hide around it's not like you have a bad game and then but the corner back does really well and you as full back you know you're kind of hidden so you like the dublin footballers basically <laughs> that does never speak to us no matter what <laughs> but you know what i might mean you yeah. know i think individual sports um, they're so difficult because there literally is nowhere to hide. Um, boxing, uh, gymnastics, you know, you're out there. And if he, make it, if he makes the tiniest slip like uh, Whitlock did, you're gone, you know. Um, so the, the dedication it needs, the support level it needs from everybody around you and the funding it needs. And Gymnastics Ireland, by, actually, I know it's got a, got a sponsorship, a new gear sponsorship last week. So, again, like Softco with the women's hockey, they're the quick return for, for a company yeah. if they're willing to take a risk on, on a sport that we might know well, but we have potential in. So all of those things, I think, just show that sport is about so much more than the big three. Um, you know, I always say it's called them the big three, yeah. GA, soccer, rugby, yeah. racing and golf. They get the biggest attention because they get the biggest crowds for them. And then that attracts sponsorship and that attracts media coverage. And there's that whole cyclical thing going on. But we find now that we have these outliers. And really, that is to the credit of the amazing people who, you know, have pushed these sports, you know, passionately themselves with their own um, passion and coaching, you know, for years. And it's really interesting. Um, in this coming week, the European Paralympic Swimming Championships are on. Indeed, up in, uh, in, 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 in the National Aquatic Centre. In the National Aquatic yeah, Centre. In and, and they're on this week. And I just think it's an, um, if people went to that again, you would see where we have talent and what an extraordinary, what extraordinary athletes they are. Mm. Um, and again, they're a minority in a minority. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like yeah. we have, uh, Ellen Keane is, a, is an Olympic medalist mm. and we have a ton of Olympic, uh, or world and European medalists in that Irish team. And also there are superstars of, um, para swimming there this week. Again, up in the same place up in, uh, up in Abbottstown. Mm. So sport to me is about so much more than the team sports. And I think um, what's brilliant this summer is just we're seeing it everywhere. And maybe you have to give credit to the Sports Council for the investment that has gone on over a long period, but also tons and tons of brilliant coaches and volunteers who kept those sports going for so many years. Indeed. Listen, Cleena, thanks so much for uh, educating us on, on Young Reason. We will obviously, uh, he will obviously be in and around uh, for years to come and we'll all look forward to that. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Thanks, Cleena. And thanks to, we had Ian on earlier from Berlin and thanks to Keith who had talked to us about the GEA. Uh, thanks to uh, everybody who helped us out here today. Thanks to you, Gavin. Hopefully, hopefully you'll be released from this hell sometime soon, but we don't know. Get well soon, Pat. Get well soon, Pat. Uh, thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Take it easy. Cheers. Cheers.